Gua sobrok. Ai. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast presented by Macy Sports, episode 145. We're back after a little bit of a break, travels, uh, other circumstances that got in the way, but we're back here to talk about a good healthy slate of Vancouver Whitecaps soccer. I mean, uh, right off the bat, we'll tee it up, LA Galaxy away whitecaps suffered a heavy loss i was in attendance for that one at dignity health sports park then they came home bc place got a nice little win over the colorado rapids much needed win and then they headed to their home away from home rio tinto stadium got a one to one draw with rail salt lake quite a game lots to break down from all three of those and to get the big games like we mentioned this is it nashville sc comes to town huge game nashville just sitting just above the white caps in the standings if you look back this is eerily similar in many ways to when a team like lafc came to vancouver in august of last year or when minnesota came to to be place in october i think it was just a lot of those kinds of games happening this year these games that could make or break the white cap season to dive into it with you all, as usual, I'm your host, Alexander Gunge Ruzik, joined by Samuel Rowan. And before we dive into this jam-packed episode that we've built up for ourselves, I mean, uh, how are we doing, Sam? As a, as a little birdie might have said, a.k.a. you, that you might be in attendance for this Nashville game if all goes well. Yeah, absolutely. If the uh, if the trains don't strike here in the UK, if, uh, if WestJet takes good care of me at Gatwick, I'll be at the match. Um, against Nashville on Saturday night. So very much looking forward to that. And uh, Alex, I mean, I want to dive into right off of the hop. How was the experience down in LA at the Galaxy? That's an interesting venue. Obviously, it was a, a challenging game for the White Cavs, but curious for your impressions of, of that experience before we dive into some of the match specifics and uh, things to look at going forward here towards the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because I got a good taste of L.A. really because on, on the Saturday, I got to see L.A. Galaxy host the Whitecaps. On the Sunday, I got to check out the new hotshot team in town, a team certainly worth checking out, Angel City, hosting Chicago Red Stars at the Bank, California Stadium. And then on Tuesday, I saw league leaders LAFC host D.C. United at Bank of California. So across those three games, really, I got a good breadth of soccer down there. And to start with the Galaxy, I mean, it's an interesting club. I mean, just first of all, from the playing standpoint, I've you know we've we've heaped plenty of praise on the Greg Vanny uh, show so far in LA. So, so far, some of the signings they brought in it it all added up in that one game. We kind of talked about it in the lead up, the preview, like, oh, this Galaxy team has so much potential. They're not showing it, and then they went out and showed a lot of the things we spoke about. Just the way they were playing, like the way they were playing was just you know fun to watch. They were just tick 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 throughout the midfield, just combining. Victor Vazquez was a phenomenal player to watch live. I think that might have been the first time I'd seen him live or one of the first times, and I was like, or live in person, and it was just stunning to see what he could do at his age of 35. And overall, it was just a good vibe. I mean, the thing is about L.A., 
the, the one thing where they're always going to have an advantage is just beautiful weather. The sun sets every day at, at, at seven. So in the Whitecaps game, it's just such a stunning backdrop. Stadium itself is beautiful. Uh, it's about a 30,000 seater, if I'm not mistaken. Very cool, soccer specific. The backdrop with the gra- the fans sitting in the grass, the supporter section, everything about it's perfect. There's really just two things with the, the, the Galaxy. I mean, the first of all is the location. It's like equivalent of we drove through downtown LA on the way to the game. It's about the equivalent of, you know, somewhere between Langley and like Ridge Meadows from downtown Vancouver. Like it's in such a strange location. And then just second of all, I mean, this is one thing the Galaxy have been facing on the field and you can kind of feel it off the field. It really feels like they're a bit old school in a lot of what they do, which is fair. I mean, they were very successful before. I think that's kind of been the next challenge is to move away from some of the old school thinking. Uh, but other than that, it was a top class experience, really just nothing but good things to say from the, about the galaxy. So didn't go well for the white caps, but uh, I certainly enjoyed myself uh, there. And then we won't dive too much in the LAFC this time around, but all I'll say there is that's certainly if you're talking about a standard that's being set across MLS, it was quite fascinating just to see the, day-to-day operations the stadium and everything and all of that just really made me jealous on many fronts of vancouver just the a the lack of a soccer specific stadium b what's going on at lafc in terms of the game day experience the club etc and then lastly most importantly just the angel city experience because i could exactly see vancouver embracing a women's team the way angel you know angel city has been embraced in la so i was jealous on those fronts but otherwise nothing but good things to say about la yeah, you know, it's funny that the team, the Whitecaps, played midweek when you describe being so far from the city. That's immediately, I think, of the Rapids in Colorado because it's a similar situation where it's a beautiful soccer-specific stadium, but they're out in Commerce City, which is like it's basically just a bunch of business parks. It's the, the stereotypical massive parking lots, empty business parks, and then you've just got, you know, a stadium in the middle of these business parks and it's tough. Everyone's got to drive. It's it's not easy to to get public transport. Um, like I think of all the other experiences in Colorado, you know, the Avalanche, the Nuggets, stuff like that. It's all, um, you know, Mile High Stadium for the Broncos. Like it's all connected with public transit, and then the the MOS Stadium isn't. So uh, that's certainly something that if Vancouver's ever going to take the plunge into a soccer specific venue. Uh, it, it points out that you have to do it right. You know, it's not it's not enough to just have the building. Uh, you have to, as you said, you know, it's either game day experience, it's accessibility, it's a it's a combination of all those things, right? Well, it's funny if you mention you look around MLS. I think we've seen a trend for MLS specifically. The teams that do well now in terms of attendance, it's teams that have downtown stadiums. So that's one area where the Whitecaps are blessed. I mean, they typically. Pre-COVID, we're always among the best in a re- for a reason. But from the few I visited, which are Seattle, Portland, um, Montreal, Toronto, now the LA, you know, LAFC, those ones are all downtown. They're all fantastic, accessible to get to, and it's no coincidence that when on their on their days, they're you know among the best. But you look as well, just the typical teams that do well, which you'd look probably say LAFC, Seattle, Atlanta, Portland those clubs it's no coincidence those are all downtown stadiums as well so it's as much as accessibility as it is the product you put out there as it is the experience uh, you know and certainly a team like lafc did check all the doors so it was just interesting you hear white caps and 
It's no doubt. I mean, the, the one thing about the Galaxy game, even too, there was only, and even LAFC, both games are only 17,000 fans. That's like a typical, like, not typical Vancouver crowd, but that's about like a decent, well, it's what we call a decent to good Vancouver it, crowd. It used to be so a typical louder. Vancouver crowd uh, up until... Well, it used to be a low Vancouver crowd. Yeah. Vancouver used to be a 24 on the on a daily, but these days it's a decent to good Vancouver crowd. The difference... The way the stadium is, since it's smaller and more packed in, it's louder. And Vanny Sarcini's talked about it. He said one of his favorite stadiums in, in MLS, Children's Mercy Park, SKC, they only hold fifteen or 20,000, but it's loud. It's packed in. And again, just a lot to, to consider about, uh, about stadiums in general in, in MLS. Yeah, it's a fun little rabbit hole to go down. So as you said, you know, 5-2 loss to the Galaxy last weekend. Big 2-1 win over the Rapids midweek at home. Uh, we were talking about this before, you know, the the game plan it has to be at this point, take care of all of your home matches and then see what you can get on the road. So despite the fact the Galaxy result was disappointing, I think you you chalk that one up. It's no different than you losing 3-2 to two at the death, you know, it, it doesn't make any difference. You didn't get a point out of it. And then the Whitecaps able to go uh, this past weekend down to their former temporary home and, and grind out. I wouldn't say grind out even because I think they actually played pretty well. One of their better road matches of the season, another 1-1 draw. So not only are they able to get the full three points at home midweek, but then they're able to find something on the road on the weekend. So I think looking back at these past three matches, Alex, I don't know about you, but uh, I found that encouraging. If you just sort of wipe the galaxy from your memory and look at the the next two results, it was a a successful uh, triple match week. Yeah, and I mean, if you're looking back at some of the performance, like the Galaxy performance, it was tough. Like it wasn't good. It you know it was especially defensively. The Whitecaps took a big step back, and you know you look at the Houston game where they won. It was not a, you know, it was, yes, it was exciting that they won two goals in the last few minutes. Again, we mentioned at the time it wasn't a great performance. I mean, Nashville as well. The first forty minutes of that game away where they drew one one wasn't good. Chicago. It wasn't good. It was really since the Portland game on July 17th where the Whitecaps had put up a good performance in MLS play, I may add, because they did, of course, have the Canadian Championship final. So that was what? That's four string of games where you really struggled out of the gates and didn't necessarily have performances where you, you could look yourself in the mirror and be like, oof, we really deserved it. And there's no coincidence that of those four games, they won one, drew one, and lost two. And so what's nice about these two win, this win and draw over Colorado and RSL isn't just that they got points. I mean, four points out of six, it's good. They need that. They got a point on the road. But what's most encouraging is the performances. I mean, against Colorado to come out of the gate strong, get two first half goals at home and then see it out through the end. That's the exact sort of performances you need at this time of year. I mean, you know, there's only so many late comebacks that you have in, in one system. And then even the RSL game, that was just unlucky because the Whitecaps were arguably, they were the better team for 85% of the game. It was one counterattack uh, goes in, they score, then RSL hits the bar right after. It was really those two moments. Other than that, it was all Whitecaps on either side of that stretch. They just didn't convert their chances at the beginning and that one defensive lapse cost them. But at least the performance was really one of their best road performances of the year. I'd put it even almost better than the Portland one, just because the Portland one, they really faded at the end after a really bright start. Whereas this one, they were just 
on it from from minute one to minute 90 really other than a two minute lap so i think if they can keep that up that's huge so heading into the playoff this playoff push of course wins is important it's you can play terrible you get wins you make the playoffs great but i think the performances are very encouraging because i think if they keep playing like that they're gonna get results they're gonna have better chances of of getting wins and i think that's most encouraging i mean there's still warning signs there defensively these lapses are like what's going on there even as well sometimes the finishing and then these tight games where just like they hit a post they're just not getting there those moments so there are still issues there but i think those overall performances are super encouraging considering uh, where the white caps are at this season yeah i mean I'll, I'll hit on some of the same themes as you i thought that all things considered taking the full 90 minutes uh the match away against rsl was one of the the better showings I've seen from the Whitecaps all year. As you said, I think when I went back and looked, it was really 55th minute when Julian Gressel came on to the 60th or 61st where they got scored on. That was the five-ish minutes of the match where um, it kind of they were doing a bit of a tactical change and it felt like there were some miscommunications. It was a little loose. I mean, Vancouver created a couple of tremendous chances in the chaos, <laughs> but then they got scored on at the other end. So that was the five or so minutes of the match where things were a bit out of control. But other than that, uh, not only did Vancouver seem to be really kind of clear in their tactical identity, but also uh, we saw a lot more pressing, a lot more aggressive, proactive defending than we have in recent matches from the Whitecaps. I mean, we can talk about how good Ryan Gauld has been offensively, but the way he was hounding RSL midfielders and defenders off the ball, uh, you know, trying to win it back, trying to lead uh, the line with his press, I thought really stood out to me as well. Uh, yeah, I, I really have nothing but good things to say about that Real Salt Lake match, and uh, and you can kind of see in the in the Rapids match midweek they were building towards that, and I think I think Vanny's just fine tuning things in a little bit with with Gauld playing the way he is with. Um, adding shots to the fold, which is still a work in progress, but uh, yeah, it feels like they're they're headed in the right direction. So very very encouraging on that front. Uh, do we want to dive into some individual players, Alex? Because one thing we haven't mentioned yet in the show is that there's there's been a change between the sticks. Thomas Assal not only back from injury but contributing in a major way. Uh, we were, I think, sort of collectively as a podcast, resigned to the fact that it was going to be Cody Cropper's goal for the rest of the year, but uh, things can change very, very quickly, can't they? Yeah, I mean, that's a great first place to kind of start as we dive into some of the our individual takeaways across these three matches, and the biggest one was in goal. I mean, again, with Cody Cropper, it's been such a tough one because, again, you see the value he's brought in terms of the leadership and organizing the back line. And he has been a good voice for the Caps in this kind of summer run. But again, like we've mentioned, there have been also some worries. Just the way he fits stylistically into the team is, you know, long balls, uh, you know, maybe not as comfortable sweeping off of his line. Uh, you know, there's, you know, teams starting to hone in on him on the near post, you know, every week, more and more shots being targeted there, uh, you know, being let in. I think it was, you know, we kind of said, I mean, uh, the, the conclusion, at least we came up to on the last show is, OK, he sees it out for the rest of the year. Then you have questions to ask, uh, you know, at the beginning of next year. But obviously that timeline has been pushed forward. And based on what's going on, you can see the results. I mean, the Galaxy game 
yes, it was, you know, it's five goals against. That was a completely on the Whitecaps defense. Let's not kid ourselves. It was pretty tough to watch some of the goals they were letting in. But same time, you look at Victor Vazquez's strike from 30 yards. Yes, it was a moment of quality from a quality player. But that's also a time where you need a save. You look at some of the other chances that were, were let in from the Whitecaps. So it's an extremely bold decision from Vanny Sartini to go to Thomas Asal. But, I mean, we've seen what the Whitecaps missed with Thomas Asal out. I mean, is Thomas Asal a finished product at this stage of his career? Far from it. We've mentioned that he's still, what, he's just 23 now, I think he is. twenty, Just turned 23 early, you know, last month. He's still super young, but we see that difference in sweeping and in the shot stopping and, you know, the other stuff is going to come. And I mean, the one thing that's always important to note, I always feel wild thinking. I mean, again, with Thomas Asal, he's what, two years away from when Max Carpeau became a full-time MLS starter a year away. So he is, again, remains ahead of what can be a, you know, a normal trajectory for, for goalkeepers. But I just think the presence he's brought at the back has been uh, much needed in terms of the style and, you know, I'm sure that time on the sidelines certainly gave him a chance to reflect, to study, to to work on his leadership, especially when he was with the Whitecaps, two guys. And he's there. He's definitely a leader because he's a, one of the first team players, et cetera. So I think we're seeing kind of that that time off really pay off for him now and in, in just what he brought to the team in, in these last two games. I mean, for Thomas, not only a, a long absence for injury, but then sort of a, a prolonged return too, right, where he came back re-aggravated it had to wait a little bit longer had to spend more time with the twos so he really had a lot of time to think about it and and be ready for his opportunity and I think you broke that down well in the sense that even if you you think that let's just say the shot stopping ability is equal between Cropper and Hassal at the moment you, you would think that a, a veteran keeper would probably bring more of those intangibles stylistic stuff but actually you could you could see in the RSL and in the in the Rapids match that you know Hassal does bring more of a full picture when it comes to the sweeping the confidence on the ball uh, just getting play started I mean I think that's that's critical even for the Whitecaps they're never going to hold a ton of possession but if they want to hold a little bit more possession just you know off goal kicks those kinds of things if they're able to you know take advantage of those situations a little bit more think Hassal provides added value there and then I mean I, I just look at the RSL match and it's hard to say because you you don't know but um, saves that Hassal l- makes look relatively routine and and you know he's getting a full palm to because of how athletic he is for Cody Cropper that's maybe a fingertip that's maybe one he doesn't quite get to um, I, you know I, I think it's even if again even if the shot stopping ability is equal there's, there's added value there in terms of the full package of keeping. And then there's also added value for the Whitecaps in terms of this is obviously the keeper you want to move forward with. You want him to build experience. You're hoping that when he gets to 25, 26, 27, he's putting in Max Crapeau top of the league performances. And, and the way he's going to do that is by playing. So I, th- I think for him to have this opportunity to play I mean what are essentially playoff matches at this point right like every every match the rest of the year for Vancouver feels like it has playoff implications I think that's uh that's very encouraging and uh two great showings for him so far so hopefully he can build on that with Yusuf Daha the rest of that goalkeeping staff they they find a way to keep their guys sharp I'm I'm always impressed I mean really I think if you looked at Cody Cropper and Thomas Assal 
from somewhere else in MLS, you'd go like, how are they getting decent keeping out of these guys? Because there's probably not known commodities in the rest of the league, but uh, Vancouver always finds a way to uh, to get good performances. And hey, another to add to my other point, another favorite of the show, Canadian goalkeeper Dane Sinclair as well, having his breakout season this year at 25. So another yeah. indication of that. And one last thing with Thomas Assal, which I've you know kind of been thinking about, if you talk stylistically, also just his size in the box has been one thing I've noticed is ever since he's come in the white caps against LA, for example, they got cooked on these sort of crosses from wide areas. Whereas Thomas Assal also one area where he was really good in RSL. He doesn't always catch everything, but he's gotten super good at just getting to the ball, punching it, catching it if he can and clearing the white caps on crosses because one area that the team's not necessarily good in, I think it's, probably a combo of the back three and also some of the profiles they have in the back three this is kind of what happens when you play wing backs and full backs at left and right center back they give you athleticism yes but you know someone like jake Nowinski, for example not exactly a hulking heading presence at the back post neither is a javane brown uh, even a tristan blackman uh, he can be good in the air but he's not necessarily he's not a six foot four behemoth Having a guy like Thomas Assal has also helped them significantly in wide crosses, which is an area where they were conceding a lot of goals. So it's no coincidence. I think this week they only concede two goals, uh, you know, not necessarily from the, the wide balls, especially against RSL. It felt like they gave up nothing from that area in particular. So another bonus for for Thomas Assal. Absolutely. That's a, that's a good point. Uh, okay. We'll move out of the goal and to uh, the guy that's been up for MLS Player of the Week nominations on a just a scorching run of form. Ryan Gall. This is this feels like 2021 Ryan Gall at the end of the season, where uh, the ball gets at his feet and he's going to make some magic happen. He's going to find a way to create offense. I mean, uh, yeah, just. I think this is this is obviously the Ryan Gold we were all expecting. It just it took him a bit of time at the beginning of the year with injury issues, fitness issues, just couldn't quite get the run of form. And and now that he has, uh, and now he's got some you know quality players like Kubas around him in the midfield, it's it's really taken off. Yeah, I mean this has been the Ryan Gold that the Whitecaps have have needed and. I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, funnily enough, I'm just looking now. You want to hear something cool, I guess? He's already matched his his totals from last year. I mean, of course, way less time. But thanks to this latest run, he's up to exactly six goals and five primary assists, which is what he finished with last year, albeit it took him 800 or so more minutes this year. But also, I think you can excuse the fact that a lot of those 800 minutes were at the beginning of the year. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking at the breakdown now. Two goals. Uh, through his first boy I think that's about 10 games and then recently he's caught fire three goals three assists a primary assist I might add in his last eight games so six goal contributions worth noting they're all also a bunch of MLS assists that aren't counted from as of late he's up to seven MLS assists so four secondary assists to go along with his primary ones he's also had the two in the Canadian championship He's looking like Ryan Gold. He's getting the goal contributions and more importantly in the goal contribution with Gold. I mean, obviously, yes, he's a number 10. You look at the goal contributions, you could kind of see it as a bar of his success, but 
he's just looking like Ryan Gold. He's just a problem. He's he's a gravity changing player. He's the sort of player that forces teams to think about, it. and that's the difference between someone who gets goals and assists and someone who can change the game. I mean, that, you see it against RSL when he gets the ball, just the way he's gliding through players, opening up pockets for his teammates forcing defenders to having to suck in and get out of position. I mean, just as cross as an example, he gets it at the ball against RSL in a terrible position. Really he's way out by the touchline, but RSL sees that they all push out and they're panicking. Like, Oh, Ryan Gold's on the ball. That leaves a wing back wide open in the box and Julian Gressel to, to head home. And that just kind of shows the gravity that he's been able to have in the two games as well. Those goals against Colorado, just right place, right time. Even all he should have had way more just the way he's finding pockets right now. That's what's really encouraging for, for me. Cause I mean, yes, we talked about the lack of production maybe at the beginning of the year, but it wasn't just that it was just the way he was looking. I mean, he just didn't look like he was changing the game. He wasn't gliding on the ball the way that a top player seems to do. And, and right now he's just bringing something to the white caps attack that they need. I mean, yes, they need to start finishing some of the chances he creates because he creates a lot of them, but it's just the, the way he was playing, even against the galaxy, that goal he, he had and just the way he was playing despite the, the heavy loss, he looks like Ryan Gold again. I think this is at the perfect time for for the Whitecaps as they begin their playoff push. Well, I think that transitions nicely into the next thing I was going to bring up, which was Lucas Cavallini against RSL because uh, I thought it was kind of looking back at the match, watching back some of the highlights, I went, man, if, if Lucas Cavallini is able to hold his run on a couple occasions, convert a couple chances... That could have been a, a 3-1 Whitecaps victory. They could have taken all three points on the road. And, you know, maybe the Whitecaps are abo- above the playoff bar at the moment. So uh, it's going to be something to track. I mean, Cava got off to a really good start to the year, middle of the year. Um, it was in some, some real goal-scoring form. I think especially for him, playing for Canada at the same time seems to give him a confidence and a swagger that he, he can't seem to find if he's not doing that. Uh, but yeah, have gone a little bit quiet lately and, uh, you know, I, the Whitecaps are going to need him or, or Brian White if he steps into a starting role to start banging the goals into the back of the net. Because as you said, Ryan Gold creating all of these chances, finishing some himself as well. Uh, but they're going to need, you know, those top two strikers to, to bury those chances down the stretch. I mean, a hundred percent. That's the thing you got. Finally got Ryan Gold playing the way he can play. I mean, you've got Andres Kubas doing his job every week in the midfield. We see what he's able to to bring to them. You just from there, you just need to get the 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 pieces in the final third at both ends defensively, as we've spoken about. Although Thomas Assal's return helps, and then at the other end, uh, you know, you got to get your your attackers firing. But it's it's been fun to to watch Ryan Gold lately. He's just looking, you know, like a, himself again and. Since July 1st here, I'm just looking through the stats. This is, he's been as 23 key passes. He's been, you know, just racking up the key passes. I think that's across 940 minutes. So he's basically averaging three, three key passes every game. If my math holds up correctly on that, just about, because that's 900 minutes, about nine to 10 games. Uh, so Ryan Gold, if he can keep this up, the Whitecaps definitely do have a chance and just hopefully they can get some consistency at the striking position, really. I think that's been the one thing that has hurt them that Lucas Cavalier went on a run at the beginning of the year and then he got suspended and then injured. 
and then was a national team. And then Brian White has just been injured on and off all year. Every time he starts to score goals, because he, I mean, it is worth knowing Brian White. He has seven goals this year, I think it is, which is solid. It's just he's been so stop start. It's been, oh, he's farting the store. Oh, okay, he's got a hip injury. He's got a quad injury. And the same thing with Cavallini scoring, and then he's suspended or he's injured. And I think with those two, if they can just get some consistency between them, because the, the, the chemistry is most certainly there with Ryan Gold now. They just need to get regular reps and regular instances. So there's just not always one is out or the other is out, et cetera. Because I think when when they're all, both been healthy, the form has been great even, and especially if Ryan Gold has been playing this way. Yeah, I'm Brian White, I think that's that's underrated right how many it's it's felt like a very very quiet year from white and, and he struggled to stay healthy but um still finding a way i mean i was very happy to see him back against rsl that that diving header missed opportunity was uh you know just a, a couple inches from from being a, a dream goal there so uh it, it's going to be curious not only you know do the white caps need goals but to see white and cava fight it out for who's going to start consistently uh, you know Kava looking at the world cup coming up brian white trying to back up his performances from last year if the white caps are able to get into the playoffs who who takes the reins there i think that's a an underrated story to watch for the caps someone else um, who's going to be hopefully in the in the goal assist chance creation department uh, now we've seen earn a couple starts for the Whitecaps, building up to full fitness. Alessandro Schopf. This is a tough one, Alex, because I feel my my overwhelming impression of Shop so far is that I, I like what I see, and yet it looks like he's he's a guy in preseason form trying to integrate into the the absolute height of an MLS season. That's obviously incredibly challenging. And as you mentioned pre-show, and maybe you can elaborate on a little bit more, it doesn't feel like we've seen him in a natural position really integrated into the team yet. They've started him, but he hasn't maybe uh, just put his his touch, his impact on the Whitecap stylistically the way we're probably hoping to see eventually. Yeah, I mean, Shop, honestly, if I'm looking at him, bare bone thoughts he's quality i mean you you can't doubt the quality when seeing him just when he gets on the ball you can again he has one of those good players you see that just glide on the ball he has that and he makes good decisions but it's been weird because i mean I, my first viewing of him was the la galaxy game and he came on and played right mid and it was he was good at right mid but it's just you can tell it's like why are you playing him at right mid he's just kind of he was holding possession making some good passes make some good runs it just felt weird and then you know midweek Colorado as well and then you get to this RSL game it just feels like we're yet to see the best one that's fine it's three games I'm not you know by far from from writing them off or slating them off or none of that it's just for for shop it's going to be interesting I'd say it's something to monitor is where he finds his role in the team because I think that's honestly the big question because on paper he looks like a, a perfect partner for Andres Kubas you let Kubas do the dirty work kind of put shop underneath and shop will feed the ball to just Gold, if Gold is the the low number ten underneath Cavallini and White, or you're feeding, you know, Shop is feeding both Gold and Vite. Uh, you know, assuming Pedro Vite, because we've seen that combination, you know, a fair bit recently. Uh, you know, the number tens, if you're going double number tens, but then to see him play number ten, it's been interesting because, as you mentioned, right now with Gold in such good form, everything's going through Gold. So when Shop is playing at the number ten, he's just kind of there, like 
guys, I'm here too. I'm making runs, like play me the ball and get me involved in the play. Kind of like you did well to, to, to highlight, you know, Sam, and it's been true. I mean, it's tough. Of course you want to give the ball to gold, but you got to get a way to use the gravity that gold brings to let a guy like shop be unlocked. So I think his biggest question really is what position do you play him? And do you get him deeper with Kubas just to get him touches and allow him to progress the ball? Or do you, realize that hey he might not get as many touches as a number 10 but he has the sort of quality in the final third that we need so ultimately with shops the early indication is you can see why they sign him he's another quality player it's just going to be a matter of where do you see him best and uh so far that's not going to be it's not been easy for 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 the white caps to figure out yeah well the more uh, the more i'm thinking about it now one of the tricky things too is that the white caps seem to create these these problems for themselves right where they they probably would like to, if they could, play Gold and Schopf at the number 10. They'd like to have Brian White and Lucas Cavallini out there. They want Julian Gressel playing in wide balls. They want Kubas and Burhalter or Kubas and Tybert holding it down in the midfield. But like you can only have 11 players on the pitch, right? <laughs> you will run out of spots pretty quick. So uh, they've created these, these conundrums for themselves where they have to uh, decide on a play style either for a given match or match in, match out, depending on, for Vanny, it's usually match to match. Uh, Yeah, depending on who's playing, who they're playing against, how they're going to get the most out of everyone. And it just, yeah, it feels like Schopf is is only barely figuring into those assessments. And I felt the same way about Julian Gressel, Alex, where the first couple matches, it just, it felt like they just shoved him out there and said, okay, figure it out. Um, and weren't really utilizing his strengths. And, and even still, he's, um, you know, slotting in as a number 10 sometimes, playing in the midfield. It's uh, it's very fluid. And uh, yeah, so I just hope that um, the rest of the year, I think, heck, they can honestly, with the quality of a Gressel in a shop, they can make probably make the playoffs without maximizing the potential of those two players. But looking forward to next season, if they want to be serious contenders to win a playoff match this year, Vanny's got some work to do with his staff in the film room at training on the tactics board. Okay. How, how do we maximize what we're getting out of these guys? Cause it, it doesn't feel like we're there yet. Well, it's funny. Cause I think now the white caps, again, they have quality. We've seen it. It's, it's not, it feels strange to say, but there's quality shop called Cavallini white and Gressel. This, this team, this team is easily good enough to make the playoffs like they, they are a playoff team but they've got they've put themselves in a massive deficit to start the year and they're figuring it out midstream so the question is can they get the results to sort of back up the the quality they have that's that's the way i'm viewing it at this point point. and the funny thing is yeah i mean it also because you think about it what you mentioned is i think immediately when i come to is boy, this team would look good in a 4-2-2-2 for the way they want to play. Like, get your, what, get Schopf and Gald as your two tens underneath Cavallini and White. You get Kubas, Perhalter, you keep Raposo and Gressel. The problem is, if you're going to play a formation like that, you basically need, like, prime Paolo Maldini at left center back and then prime Virgil van Dijk at right center back or something ridiculous. And, hey, maybe that'll be Vanny's wish list. He's going to tell Axel Schuster, be like, get me two of the best damn center backs money can find. You have a DP and a young DP. Go make sure those spots are two, like, God-tier center backs so I can play that way next year. But, uh, yeah, jokes aside, it's going to be a question of, 
That's the thing with, with teams when you got, you know, like accumulation of talents. We're not even talking about players like, what do you do with a healthy Diber Caicedo? What do you do with a reinvigorated Christian Dahomey if you can, you know, find that level? Marcus Godinho has been, you know, causing options as well. So there's all sorts of questions uh, to be asked for for the white caps finally enough it feels like a lot of them range around center back a their center backs they have for a back three also if b could they switch to a back four to accommodate all of the players they've uh you know accumulated it's gonna be an interesting basically i fly out of penny for a thought of to be in you know uh, vanny sartini's head right now is uh, how i'd sum it up absolutely yeah so Okay, I mean, moving forward to one of the guys you just talked about, we, we've been very positive so far on this podcast, which um, maybe not normal for a Whitecaps podcast over the last two and a half years, but uh, there's a lot to be excited about this stage of the year. One thing, unfortunately, uh, from RSL that, that was, to me, a, a standout and overwhelming negative, someone we've been very positive about in this show, Christian Dahomey. I mean, for me... I just tried to take a step back from the situation and go, man, this was a guy at the beginning of last season that was a you know a team MVP candidate, might have been the Whitecaps' best player for a long stretch of matches. And now it feels like he doesn't have a spot in the starting 11. And really, I mean, Dahomey for, for Vancouver against RSL was the weakest player in the 11. It felt like he just he looked uncomfortable out there as... His dribbling, his running, his, you know, even his kind of instincts off the ball, it just it felt like everything was a bit out of place. And Alex, you've you've talked about this in the show a lot over the last couple of years, how Daho is always putting in a seven out of ten, a seven and a half out of ten performance. So to see him struggle so much was was really eye-opening. And it makes me makes me wonder, yeah, are the White Caps under Vanny Sartini going to be able to to reinvigorate him, to, to get him back to the spot he was at because uh, it feels like a shame to lose out on a guy that has a lot to offer, but I, I also don't know where he fits in this team at the moment. He very well might be the biggest casualty of Vanny Sartini if you look at it. Like, again, when he was on last year, he was not only just team MVP all this, he was a borderline MLS all-star candidate if you look at the numbers statistically, the way he was playing. So, like, again, it's... A hundred percent true, and I think the frustrating thing here has been with Dahomey is you want to start the guy, just because the thing is with Dahomey, no matter where you're going to play him, you're going to get work rate, you're going to get commitment to instructions, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get all those intangibles that he brings. It's just the problem is, yeah, where does he fit? Do you shoehorn shoehorn him in up front where he's going to because he's in? I think ultimately, having seen him in a bunch of positions, I think we can say his best position is probably one of those inside winger roles but i think in a in a front three like i think he needs to be alongside another winger he can't just jam him in that role in a number 10 like the the white caps do so until there's you know they're playing a formation with wingers he's not going to be in his best position and you just look is he at wing back even on his best day it's just like you you look now like Ryan Raposo has done such a good job at that left wing back position he should be starting in the white caps best 11 uh, you know you you see Julian Gressel being brought in as well on the other side so you kind of lost Christian Dome at wing back which is like fair it's not even his best position anyways but you don't have room for him in his best position so i think he's just really been the biggest casualty a of Vanny Sartini coming in and playing this formation which hey on its day when everything's ticking, it works well. And then you know, the players are really 
especially as of late, finding a way to understand it, commit to it, et cetera. The only problem is where I honestly, I'd almost sympathize with Vanny is how do you leave a guy like Dahomey out again? You know what you're going to get. I'm sure you can play him at center back and he might not be good, but you know, he's going to be committed. You know, he's going to put in a shift. Some guys, you put them at center back, they just pout and, you know, they, they might not be too happy with it. So that's the frustrating thing is with Dahomey is he's such a team, a good team guy and he's talented. You want him out on the pitch, but there's just the simple reality that there isn't room for him. And, I mean, hey, maybe just committing to him as a 30-minute super sub could be the way to go. You just kind of leave him there and dictate the the game state. Like, okay, I'm down a goal. We need a goal. Okay, then you could play him at wing back and just ha- unleash him. And not he's not in a position where he's having to track back and track back. And Or you can be in a game where you just need a guy up front. You need some speed. You throw him in up front or you need this or that. Because I think that's just ultimately if the Whitecaps are going to stick with this formation and this setup – I think it's just, uh, as we've seen throughout this year, that unfortunately hasn't been a room for a, the best version of Dahomey. And, I mean, again, on some games, as we see, like in the Canadian Championship Final, Dahomey played a role. Uh, you know, a, a, even a not at his 100%, Dahomey can still help the team. It's just unfortunate that we're not able to see him at the best that we know he can be. Cause, uh, uh, you know, he, he was a difference maker for the Caps last year. Yeah, it is. It is really the one distinct casualty of the the coaching change, which is which is tough. But as you pointed out, I think at least for the rest of this year, probably that that thirty minute attacking sub, either as a a false nine, number ten winger, when you you change attacking shape, that that kind of feels like his best opportunity to make an impact at this point. Because yeah, realistically, he's fourth on the depth chart at wing back, right and so that's probably not somewhere he's going to get a ton of run if everyone's fit, and uh, and yeah, you're not you're not playing a four three three in all likelihood, and that's that's probably where you'd like Daho, right? You go back to the Cava, Daver Caicedo, Christian Dahomey four three three, and and everything would be looking good for for him, but uh, that's just not a reality right now. So yeah, pour one out for Daho. That's tough because uh, I've really enjoyed watching him play at his best for the Whitecaps. Uh, certainly a, a, a player that, that brought a lot and I think can still do so. It's just uh, doesn't feel like it's going that way the rest of the year. But someone who's maybe not rather than a fall or a bit of a riser within the Whitecaps squad right now, finally back from injury, my favorite midfielder, Sebastian mm. Burhalter. Great to see him. I, I, like Thomas Asal, another guy that was in injury wilderness for a while. Uh Man, I mean, I, I don't know if it's just because, you know, you get used to a certain style with Russell Tybert in the midfield, but uh, just little things like even Berhalter's shooting technique, like a couple of good long-distance efforts that that uh, caused some trouble. Uh, his his industry, his aggressiveness defensively, his, his willingness to get stuck in for a tackle, uh, passing, just a, a really, you know, a well-rounded midfielder. Uh, you know, and we were talking about this pre-show, Alex. Like, is okay? Is is Seb Berhalter, Kyle Alexandre at his best? Probably not. But you don't need him to be that. It's the it's the domestic depth with upside signing that we were talking about in the preseason. And uh, given the fact that Alexandre is out of the picture, if you if you want someone in that dual pivot with uh, with Kubas, who is a is a jack of all trades can do a little bit of everything at a at a quality MLS level. Burhalter looks like he can be that guy. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, again, shrewd pickup for the Whitecaps, first of all. 50K said it at the time and certainly is looking that way. Lots to like with this game. And I'm just the thing is, I mean, first of all, we could talk about what we've seen with the eye test. And the thing is with Berhalter, he's he brings that sort of, you know, he just brings something when he's on the field. He progresses the ball. He's he's aggressive. He seems to slot in nicely with Kubas and kind of give them a shield. But you know, something interesting, someone was mentioning, like, oh, how does he rack up to the numbers test though? And it was it's good, you know, good point. Cause I mean, yes, thing is with Burhalter, he seems like the kind of midfielder you just want the way he's he just gets stuck in, he switches the ball, he has the technique. I'm looking at his stats from this year. Shout out at FB ref is always a good friend of the show. We could almost say for the, the charts that they provide, but his defensive impact is ridiculous. I mean, he's all in the greens. He's in the top 15, 20% of midfielders for tackles, you know, interceptions, pressures. He's a spark plug, which I feel like something isn't maybe almost appreciated. Cause every time I see Burhalter, I think, Oh, the caps could use his ball progression. Oh, they could use his passing. First of all, he's defensively his six best comparable players. Andres Kubas, funnily enough, on FB Ref for this year. Number two is a certain Jose Martinez, the defensive midfielder on Philadelphia Union, that has been a very key integral piece there. So I feel like defensively, we might not be talking about uh, Burhalter 98th percentile in terms of interceptions this year, which is uh, elite. But he also has, you know, he's in terms of dead balls, he's he's very high under all of the stats. He's also uh, very high in terms of passes into the final third, passes into the uh, penalty area, passes completed uh, long. Uh, so, yes, he's. you look at it, some of his stats, he's not getting the, the goals, the assists, or, you know, even some of the progressive passes, but he passes the ball forward a good amount. He's good on dead balls. He defends surprisingly underratedly well. For what the Whitecaps need in midfield right now, which is, just provide a little shield along Kubas and progress the ball. He does both of those things very well and has made an argument for, for to start going forward because the thing is you look at the other options. I mean, Leo Wusu, again, a guy on his day, I'll always be happy to have an informed Leo Wusu in my team. It's just as we've seen in terms of progressing the ball forward, he kind of falls in and out in games sometimes. The thing is with a guy like Leo Wusu, the game needs to be there for him. You know, even a guy like Shop, as we're seeing as well, and the, the way he plays, maybe not a guy who's going to go and seek the game. Whereas the guy with Burhalter, the way he tackles, the way he pressures, he's like Kubas in that sense. They're going to go make the game come to them. And I think for what the Whitecaps need in midfield, which is more territorial possession, more oomph defensively, both of those things, I think Burhalter is the closest match other than maybe Daniel Bacal, who we haven't seen and obviously apparently isn't fit, given that he hasn't seen the field once yet. Uh, isn't fit enough, pardon me. Burhalter might be just the best fit for what they need in midfield right now. Yeah, I mean, this isn't, um, it's a small sample size, right? Because, uh, you know, I'm looking at the minutes and, you know, Burhalter and Flo Youngverth have played close to the same amount of minutes this year. So, uh, you know, it's not like there's this massive sample size to take from and it's been split up by injury. So I'm not saying that, you know, Burhalter is a an eight-year starter in the midfield for Vancouver but it feels like that is if you're gonna put someone alongside Cubas for the rest of the year that's where you should go for now and and they don't necessarily they they'd like to get some goal and assist contributions out of Burhalter if they could but that's that's not what this team is relying on and I think that yeah it's just a it's a a good guy to have back in the fold at the right time of the year and I'll say this because I feel like it's a broken record he just turned 21, so still 
which is ridiculous. Very, very young. Um, because he's not a homegrown product, you, you don't probably think about it in the same way. But I think a lot of a lot of potential for growth there as well. All right, I want to one final shout out from the last couple of matches, but but RSL in particular. So Javane Brown goes out with an injury, and Jake Nerwinski back in the fold for Real Salt Lake, and uh, you know Nerwinski fair, unfair, whatever you want to make of it, has been taking a lot of flack for some of his performances at, at center back this season. I'll put my hand up. I've I've instigated some of that criticism. I think also, Alex, you know, when when people were saying back post Jake a couple of years ago, we were out there defending some of his performances. We nominated him an, an underrated player of the year. So I, I think we've been uh, pretty realistic with our Nerwinski takes uh, in terms of our track record. And I have to say against against Salt Lake, with the Whitecaps playing a relatively high line, doing a lot of pressing, I thought Jake looked awesome. It, it feels like when when he kind of checks into the match and is and, and has some confidence, a little bit of grit, like he gets stuck into a couple tackles early and he's emotionally engaged, uh, I feel like he can find a different level, kind of like he did in the Canadian Championship, you know, with a tremendous defensive performance. I thought this was a really another good one from Nerwinski. And they might need him because Javane Brown did some light training today, uh, and then they're going to try to push him towards full training. So it's still very much up in the air for this weekend. So Nerwinski may very well be starting again. And uh, if he backs up his RSL performance, that that could be not such a bad thing. Yeah, it's tough with Jake Nowinski because I think ultimately there's a lot of things that he is and he isn't. And I think sometimes those lines get blurred. Like, yes, he isn't necessarily a, a natural center back. Yes, he isn't. You know, a player that the white, you know, say, for example, if Derek Cornelius all of a sudden was to appear, appear out of thin air, like he's not Derek Cornelius, of course, you know, in a, in a perfect world, you have a back three of Ranko Veselinovic and Derek Cornelius and one of Eric Godoy and Tristan Blackman. But obviously that's not, we're not in a perfect world. Things happen. Godoy is waived. Cornelius is still on loan, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the one thing is that Jake Nowinski kind of is, gets lumped into what he isn't, you know, in the sense that, Yes, he isn't that guy. And, and the thing is with, with Jake Nowinski, when he's on his day, the way he performs, like that final, when he stepped up, I mean, even in a game like this, it just feels like circumstantially, it just there, there are games that fit Jake Nowinski and there are games that aren't. And that's normal for a player that isn't a natural center back, that isn't, you know, we know what he is at this stage of his career, I think six years in. And it's interesting because I think if you look at a lot of the games where he's done better, he does better almost against these technical wingers, who aren't going to beat him for pace. He loves a 1v1. He's always been good at that since he was a rookie in MLS. Whereas if you're going to put him up against a, I don't know, a prime Dominic Duro is just going to try to stretch him down the wing. Like, yes, he's going to, he's going to struggle. He's not necessarily a track star. He's more of an agile 1v1 defender, which now that I think about it, it actually checks out with what Vanny Sartini said. Cause Vanny Sartini says that a lot. He's like, I want Jake Nowinski because he's good 1v1 what maybe is misinterpreted, it doesn't mean, okay, he's good against 1v1, throw him against like a Killian Mbappe, you know, an Alfonso Davies, a speedster. He'll be good one-on-one if you throw him against Nazine, funnily enough. A guy who's small, techie, likes to be agile, shoulder fakes, that kind of player. But, he, you know, Justin Merrim is another example who usually dominates the Caps, had a bit more of a quiet game by his standard. So I think, again, with Jake Nowinski, there's a lot of 
blur between what he is and what he isn't at this stage. And yes, I think ideally on a normal team, maybe Jake's your depth guy. He's coming in off the bench for to fill in at center back. He's rotating in. And I think it's just the reality that the white caps, you know, obviously we're well too early for this where once we hit the off season, we're going to start drafting our needs and wants for the white caps and what they should do. I mean, it's becoming more and more clear that they need two or three center backs. Some of them have, you know, on, you, you could almost consider spending a young DP, a DP spot on center back. It's quite a need, especially if Ranko Vyselinovic gets an offer from, from abroad and has moved on. So, yes, the Whitecaps need center back. So I think it was caused Jake Nowinski to be thrust into a role that he maybe isn't. But I think on his day, if you look at what Jake Nowinski actually is, this game at RSL is a great example. He can be effective. He can provide you depth. It's just maybe he's been pushed into a role that maybe doesn't necessarily suit him or suit where the team wants to be or some of the opponents they're against. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's well said. Man, Justin Miram, always a pleasure to watch. I, I just, I don't know, I thought I'd shout that out. It just, as someone, one, one of the guys that I, I don't think about much, but then when he plays against the White Caps or he, he pops up on my screen and I'm watching an MLS match, uh, yeah, just, uh, but also I will sh- say from that RSL match, I, I don't know if that was just me, Alex, but there was, Salt Lake was hitting the deck a lot. I feel like that was partially because of the way the white caps were playing so aggressive but also that was just really something that stood out from that one uh yeah and maybe it's because the white caps have been so passive a lot defensively that that hasn't been as common but that really stood out from uh from the latest match but what we're gonna have to do now is we're gonna talk about the upcoming match this weekend nashville sc at bc place but before that we're gonna kick it to a quick word from our friends at macy sports Hey guys, Alex here. We're taking a quick break from this latest episode of the Third Sub Podcast. Share a word from our friends over at Macy's Sports, located in North Vancouver, just on the other side of the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. No better place right now to get equipped for the summer. I mean, the sun's finally out. You can go kick about. The League One BC season is also in full swing. So if you want some Altitude FC merch, they've got the latest and greatest altitude bucket hats some altitude kits among the nicest in the country i might add of course if you don't just want merch you got boots you got all sorts of other kits long sleeve shin pads anything you need they've got it so head over to macy's sports if you say you are a third sub listener you get a tidy discount so make sure to shout out the third sub podcast and head over to macy's sports today but on that note We'll get right back into the show. Well, well, well. If there's one thing we like on the show, it's breaking down games, as uh, we saw. Always find a way to to dive deep. But if there's one thing we almost love just as much, it's previewing games. And we have quite quite the doozy on our hands, really. I mean, uh, no better way to put it. Vancouver Whitecaps, Nashville, SC... Boy, that must be, what, their second ever meeting between the two teams. Funnily enough, the other one was just weeks ago. Uh, literally just, you know, end of July, uh, the Whitecaps went and took on Nashville, July 30th. So literally the end of July, 1-1 draw. Very strange game all around. Whitecaps came out slow. Nash- and then they pulled it back at the end. Javane Brown with his first MLS goal. Uh fun little celebration as well at the end but Nashville this is a big game for them they've climbed up to sixth 
in the table, albeit they have a game on the, around pretty much everyone, funnily enough, except Vancouver, who was tied with them in games at 27. Uh, Nashville at the record of 9-9-9. Nine, nine, and nine. So <laughs> certainly, hey, very German record of them, which is fitting saying their best player is uh, someone of German descent. Uh, 38 goals for, 36 against. It's kind of been pretty good offensively, but as we'll see, there's some questions to be had there. Defensively, they've taken a step back, though, from their usual defensive eliteness, really. I mean, again, it must be said, probably losing a guy like Alistair Johnston cannot be understated how important that probably was, among other moves. So, Nashville, this is a strange team because this is a huge game for the Whitecaps. They are two points behind Nashville. They're in the playoff hunt. Uh, They've kind of, for now, kind of crested above the likes of Colorado, Portland, Seattle. We know that won't last long. They have to play Seattle still. I'm pretty sure... Uh, well, they, they don't have to play Portland, luckily enough, but they have to play Colorado again. They have to play LA Galaxy as well, RSL, all these teams around them. This is a huge game, very strange matchup in Nashville. Yeah, it's uh, we talked about it before, obviously. It's so congested in the West. I mean, you've got the LA Galaxy sandwich between Nashville and Vancouver, but they've got two less matches played. So realistically... If the Galaxy can get something out of those, they're going to vault ahead of Nashville. So really Vancouver and Nashville right up against each other. Uh, This is going to swing things in a major direction between these two teams. Like if Nashville were able to come into Vancouver and get a road win, they're going to create a a good bit of distance between themselves and the Whitecaps. But if the Whitecaps win this one, as they'll be expecting to, they'll take a step just a point above Nashville. So uh, I, I think at the end of the year, when we look at playoff spots six and seven, this match might have a major impact. It, it feels like we're saying that every match right now, because it's been all these, uh, you know, Colorado, Houston, Nashville, all these teams that were vying or are still vying for those final playoff spots. So the theme continues on Saturday. As you mentioned, Nashville, bit of a strange team. I felt when I was researching Nashville again, uh, kind of seeing what they'd done since playing the Whitecaps and then just looking at their year as a whole. This is almost, they're, they're similar to the LA Galaxy where they had their top heavy. Henny Mukhtar has been just finding the back of the net, finding a way to assist if he's, if he's not scoring himself. 16 goals, six primary assists. I think, as you mentioned pre-show, Alex, the goal contributions are crazy. They're in the mid-20s, which is insane. Uh, But then really beyond that, they don't don't have a ton of weapons. Randall Leal has had a a down year in the goal-scoring category. Uh, Sapong has been in there doing a good job, but, uh, you know, he's not blowing the doors off. Uh, The the midfield, the the defense, you know, they've, they've got some good players, but... Uh, the, the depth maybe isn't entirely there. So it, it's been a little bit feast or famine for this Nashville team. Uh, I feel like they, they could be better than they are, but but I can also sort of see why they're they're battling for one of the final playoff spots, given uh, some of the frailties on the roster. Yeah, and I mean, I think the thing is with Nashville, it's such a unique roster build the first few years because they were elite defensively. Like, it, 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 there's no better way to put it. Like, there was that one year where they the, every game was a one, they'd concede one or zero. It was ridiculous. I mean, Joe Willis, Walker Zimmerman, Alistair Johnston, all these guys were fantasy gods based on how the pack that every week it would just be a clean sheet or one goal against their XG against was ridiculous. They were just finding a way. And then they were just letting Hanny Mukhtar do his thing. And it, it must be said, I mean, 
might Hany Mukhtar be one of the most underrated top level players in MLS ever? Just the, consistently how every year he's putting up these 15 goal, 10 assist seasons and no one's talking about it. It feels, I mean, you know, you're always going to get your attentions to some of these other players. So that was their formula before. The problem is with a formula like that, it relies a lot on defense. The defense takes a slip up this year. It's no coincidence. They go from a team pushing the top of, you know, the third, second, first places like they were in their first two years to now where they're thick of the playoff hunt. And that really sums it up because yes, they're, they are, such a weird team in the sense that they are very top heavy and really just in, in general, not beyond Hanny Mukhtar. So, you know, they're also very dependent on Walker Zimmerman. It must be said, those two players just kind of carry the load at both ends and it feels like beyond them, there's maybe a, a bit of a gap. And I think that's reflected. I mean, you mentioned it as well. And Hanny Mukhtar in the, into the well into the twenties in terms of goal contributions. The next best one is, is CJ Sapong, who doesn't even have double digits if I'm not mistaken, which is, you know, that's, that's, that's very staggering in terms of the 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 break offensively. Funnily enough, it hasn't hurt them. Like, I mean, again, when you have Henny Mukhtar doing what he's doing, you don't need too much depth. They still have 36 goals in, uh, I guess, what it would be, 26 games, which is like, hey, that's a good amount. That's not to say Nashville's been doing bad offensively. In fact, they're one of the, the mid to better teams offensively. It's just really defensively where they've been hurt the most. And what's interesting with Nashville is the, these problems have manifested themselves painfully because it means that they're underperforming uh so one thing is surprisingly you look at their team uh they're really good in the in the advanced numbers i was not expecting that because the first few years they were okay but they were just so good defensively they masked a lot of that now they're t- they're sixth in mls and xg4 per game second in xg against they've been playing elite uh, in terms of the numbers they put up, but they're middling in the standings. And that really points to those issues we men- mentioned. Lack of depth scoring is but one. Lack of depth, period, is another. And then also goalkeeping. So all of a sudden, the, at Nashville, if there was one parallel we came up to pre-show, they were looking like 2021 20, LAFC. And we knew we do know all how that ended. It ended with missing the playoffs. And all of a sudden, they went supernova and signed everything that moved uh, within and with an outside MLS. So will Nashville do that? Who knows? But right now it shows where they're kind of up against right now. And, and it's worth noting that in terms of the season as a whole, Nashville really had been up until this past weekend on their worst run of form of the entire season. They only have one win in their last seven. And, and that win came four nil over FC Dallas most recently. So uh, they were in the wilderness a little bit there, uh, losing 4-3 at home to Toronto, losing 2-1 to Minnesota at home. Uh, and, and in both of those matches, out-chancing, um, out-creating those teams, but failing to find the result. So I think that has been a little bit emblematic of the way the year's gone, where uh, they've done some of the right things, but uh, it's it's by thin margins. So if they're not able to they don't have their finishing boots on that day. It can get away from them a little bit. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, in terms of form, it'll be kind of difficult to pin down. You know, are you going to see the Nashville team that that dominated FC Dallas and only allowed 0.2 xG to the visitors, um, or are you going to get this this more chaotic team that that leaves things wide open? And as you mentioned, isn't you know the the stalwart defensive team we were so used to the first couple of years. So. Um, yeah, and Joe Willis in, in goal, I think that's one thing that has sort of 
regressed. Um, you know, he's getting up there in age a little bit, and uh, they're just not quite getting it. You know, they're they're in the bottom third in in, in those advanced goalkeeping categories. So um, when you're overall just the you lose a guy like Alistair Johnston, you 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 change shape a little bit, you change tactics, and then also uh, you're not getting quite the same level of goalkeeping. Uh, I mean, we've seen with the Whitecaps going from a Maxime Crapeau to the Hassall-Cropper combination, uh, the defensive record has has suffered in some ways. So I, I think Nashville suffering a little bit from the same thing. It will be interesting to see what kind of tactics, what kind of mentality they they bring into uh, Vancouver. Because looking through the possession numbers from Nashville this year, they've held under 40% of the ball at times. They've wow. held 60% of the ball at times. They're, they also, seem kind of hap- they seem happy to do whatever the other team doesn't want to do. So uh, Vancouver's been finally starting to get a little more comfortable on the ball. So at home, uh, trying to push for all three points, I-, I wonder how these two teams try to attack one another. And it's interesting enough, now that I think about it, there's two contrasting styles also in terms of the depth. Because now that I'm thinking about it, Nashville's depth isn't great. We, we'll, we'll talk about it. I mean, really, you look at their – they have some really good starters. Again, Hani Mukhtar, Walker, Zimmerman, those are two arguable best 11 players in their lineup across MLS. Like, those are two stars. Those are studs. Those are guys you want. You look otherwise, like Dan Lovitz. That's another very solid player. Shaq Moore, who they've just brought in. Dax McCarty. CJ Sapong on his day. Like they have good pieces there. The problem is you look at the bench. I mean, you look at the last game example, only missing two players, uh, which are Ake Loba and Teal Bunbury. So it wasn't as if they were shorthanded or anything. You just look at the bench and it was, they won obviously for nothing, but you're looking at some of the guys, Eric Miller came on solid player. Alex Moyle came on, always been a decent player since his Red Bull days. Anibal Godoy, that's a good player to bring off the bench. Luke Hackinson as well as always, in the last few years since 2020, he's been a solid piece. But you look at some of the other guys they have on the bench, and you're like, ooh, those are a mix of miscast MLS guys like an Ethan Zubak. Or, you know, there's not much there that's singing like, okay, this is a guy that can bring off the bench that's going to be like, to, to think of a comparison, they don't have any like many or many six man of the year kind of players like you'd say in NBA, a guy who's going to come off the bench and and change the game. And it's finally enough now that I think, because I'm looking at a lot of Nashville's games. So I was wondering if this was like a recency thing. They allow a lot of late goals because of that. It's no coincidence that in games, like the Whitecaps, they were up 1-0 and they allowed a goal in the 89th minute. I remember one game where they went to LA Galaxy and Jovalicic scored late at home to get them a win. LAFs, uh, there, you know, some other games. Minnesota recently got a late goal against them to win. There's a lot of instances. And it's funny because you're thinking the Whitecaps this year have been the best team at scoring late goals. We talk about the depth the Whitecaps have. That that's where two areas where they're contrasting. Whereas Nashville has legit stars, and you know maybe the the Whitecaps do have some some stars, yes. But you know a guy like Ryan Gold is still for as good as Ryan Gold is, he still has some work to do if he's going to match what Hanny Mukhtar's done in MLS. And I think that's like more of a credit to how good Hanny Mukhtar's been, and not at all a slight at Gold. And that's similar with Nashville to their depth versus the Whitecaps' depth. Their their depth has hurt them, whereas the Whitecaps' depth has helped them. So it's going to be interesting to see how those sort of stylistic things match up to it. I feel like it's important to add. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to try to be positive about Nashville's depth for a moment and, and shout out a couple guys that are newer to the squad but, but could really add an extra element, change some things. One of those, Shaq Moore on the back line, uh, 
playing at the fullback position. Only five matches played, five starts, not even 400 minutes yet, but looked good. Obviously spent a while in Spain honing his craft, mostly in the the second division, but uh, I like what I've seen from him. And then I think, you know, Canadian soccer fans... Up north, you're probably familiar with Jacob Schaffelberg. That obviously uh, a big move away from TFC. Schaffelberg only getting his first start last time out, finding a goal. Great to see for a young Canadian. Um, and, and maybe he's someone that can start to provide uh, that secondary attack. That If it's off the bench, if it's in a starting role, I know you and... Uh, I feel like it's a, a bingo thing at this point where you can, you know, you can put stamp your bingo slot every time, but shout out to Caleb Wilkins. You guys are going <laughs> back and forth on Twitter about, you know, Schaffelberg's goals plus assists per 90 contribution. And hey, maybe, maybe there's some value there. Can he bring that value to Nashville? Because it, it feels, Alex, like the exact type of player they, they need right now, given the flaws we were talking about. Oh no, hundred percent. I mean, we look at the the depth issues that were there. I, I think these are two great signings. I mean, Shaq Moore, first of all, we saw him in his debut against the Whitecaps. I think that's good. I think that's the Alistair Johnson replacement that they've been kind of yearning for all year. That kind of guy who can bring them a bit going forward, but is also very responsible defensively. And I think, you know, they weren't really getting that before. I'm looking back at old games they were experimenting with that back three just to get you know fix the right back solution they're playing Alex Moyle as a right wing back like they didn't have that sort of stability there whereas all of a sudden you bring in a guy like Shaq Moore that gives him solidity it moves some other guys to the bench maybe which is also something that can't hurt and and from there it's really helped them you know I think it's no coincidence that they really found their legs and slowly busted out of his slump since he's debuted uh, you know, they had two draws right away, and now they got this win lately. Otherwise, Jacob Schaffelberg, such a good addition for them. I just think, uh, you know, his underlying not numbers last year were were very good on a team that was not very good, uh, you know, and that the end of year TFC. So the fact that TFC like, hey, here's a loan for 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 free, and it's just like, okay, let's uh, we'll 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 take him and instant impact he brings that sort of running he, he he's worked on his end product he can deliver a good ball which considering that they have cj sapong and teal bunbury could also be an asset lost to like really with the the schaffelberg moves and i think that could be potentially one it's one that at time you're like okay just hopefully he goes gets minutes if he keeps this up this could be a, a move that makes a difference between them missing or making out uh, you know making the playoffs which Again, shrewd move for for Nashville and a move where, again, with Toronto, it's like, oof, what was going on uh, there with Schaffelberg? Like, yes, there wasn't room for him, but did you make room for him necessarily? And credit for Nashville for for capitalizing on that. And and if they're able to really harness Schaffelberg's potential, this could be the beginning of a of a Canadian pipeline down in Nashville. You know, like if if they're able to uh, the first Johnston and then Schaffelberg, maybe. Maybe that's a bit of a home away from home for some young Canadian players, which uh, good to see. You know, nice to. I like that for these Canadian players to to have options outside of their their three teams. So uh, that's that's good. Any final thoughts on on Nashville, the way these teams match up before we? I mean, it's a little early in the week, but there aren't actually that many injuries to talk about. So uh, we can dive into looking at the lineups, how we're feeling about this one, and yeah, Alex, we're probably gonna 
have to do we'll have to maybe bring the videos back do a little social content before the match on saturday given we'll be in person uh both together there well, i was gonna say i was uh, i was gonna end the show with that i'm like well the reunion of the third sub boy what like almost a year later after uh the last one would have been like august of last year so almost a year after we can get the reunion get some videos have a good time with that so certainly for that Funnily enough, before I forget, also must be worth noting, smart American teams look at Canada. Now, I think the new rule is if there's a homegrown Canadian player, he no longer counts as an international. It's only if they come uh, without being a homegrown. So, hey, if there's a Whitecaps prospect who isn't playing, a TFC prospect who isn't playing, there is a fair amount of those. <laughs> Christian <Even> Montreal. <laughs> Well, he's not a he's not a homegrown. He wouldn't be a homegrown. He's not so, a homegrown. So would he count? He would count as an international. He would. Ah, so it's, I'm thinking difficult. I'm thinking more along the the guys of like a, I don't know, like a one of those, you know, TFC like a Kosi Thompson, if or someone like that, if you, or Luke, you know, Luca Petrasso has stopped playing ever since Crescido's come in. So, like but one, I'm thinking of that. I mean, I'm I'm. A, this is going to be the the most basic. So probably something I should know is someone who's done 145 MLS themed podcasts. But so, Seb Burhalter can come up to Canada and play as a domestic but if gutierrez yeah. goes to columbus he's an international yep canadians are it's such it's so weird I, I know I'm, I'm stating the i'm stating the obvious here that's very stupid but like just wanted to it is. make that clear yes canadians are internationals on u.s teams unless they're homegrowns right. who have entered the academy by 16 i think it is who have also joined the academies after 2015 i think it was because funnily enough max crapo at lafc is an international because he met the mixed the cutoff by months <laughs> and then daniel henry missed it by like two years so like now those some of these guys would be fine some of them like maxime crapo literally missed the, the cutoff by like a matter of days or months Ugh. or whatever it was so it's ridiculous but now that's why i'm saying now if teams are smart all of a sudden say there's the next to use a guy, a couple of guys from the last generation. If there's an ex Marco Carducci who isn't getting any burn, or if there's an ex Caden Chung, or you know a Matthew Baldissimo, and some of these guys that were there. Hey, if you're a U.S. team, you need some depth. Give them a call. There won't be internationals anymore. Maybe you can pawn them. You know, convince them for deep, even or even boldly, if like say a, a contract option on like a George Makumbawa gets declined, whereas before he would have been international. Could be worth looking at those guys. So. Thought it, thought it was something when you mentioned the Canadian hub. I think we're going to see a lot more of that from American teams, smart American teams that realize like, hey, a good player is a good player. Of course, like with Canada, you know, you want them to be American. If you're an American team, if you want them to be Canadian. But if, if there's a good player laying around for cheap or for free, like if you're getting a loan for Jacob Schaffelberg for six months, you, 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 you hang up the phone, you laugh, you pay your 50K of jam and you take him. So I thought that was worth noting. But about also, that. just to, just to add quickly to that, this is another advantage of having that second team infrastructure, right? Because there's somewhere for them to go play if they're not getting first team minutes. That's also if if there's guys floating around in the abyss looking for somewhere to play. There's these second teams in the U.S. that they could be a part of as well, right? And there's more roster flexibility. So, uh, yeah, all very good. Um, I just yeah, it's nice to because it felt before the reason I brought it up is it felt like Canadians if they couldn't find a spot at Montreal, Toronto, or Vancouver, they were kind of SOL, right? And and now yep. there's there's better opportunities for them, which is just as someone who, okay, yeah, you know, we talk about the Whitecaps, but 
more selfishly than that, I want to see all these young Canadians do well. That's that's what's more important. So I'm I'm glad steps are being taken. Well, that's it. We want you know Canadians to do well. There's a lot of talent, and you know not all of it makes it. That's the reality. But it's nice that through the CPL, we're seeing guys get their second shots, and even now within MLS and just overall a healthy you know Canadian ecosystem. That's one thing I've noticed, and just I've been really heavily tracking canadian players myself what the last three years and just in three years i've seen it from okay you follow maybe six canadians around mls who'd play and then the rest like ooh, here's a canadian got you know 73 seconds playing for you know some team down in miami whereas now i'm pretty sure it's up to like 20 or 30 canadians who play regularly every week in mls many more in cpl europe etc so i just think it's, it's it's cool to to see more and more of these sorts of unique opportunities i mean such an such a random aside, but it's like a guy like Erben Peppel who left Cavalry to go to England. And today he he started against Nottingham Forest in a cup tie. Like I think that's just sort of stuff. More and more stories like that uh, is awesome. But Whitecaps lineup. Um, I mean, Sam, do you wanna do you wanna take a first crack at what we might see for for the Whitecaps as they get set for uh, this Nashville this strange Nashville team again, as we'll say. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the reason I brought this up, we've we've skipped this. I feel like a couple times this year because there's just been so many injuries, health and safety protocol. It's been difficult to predict. But this one probably should be a little bit easier. Brian White, I would expect, is available for selection if Sartini wants to go that way. Really, the only question is, will Javane Brown be up to full speed? Um, I don't know. We'll have to see. But I, I would imagine you're going to go Thomas Assal in goal. Uh, you have the full week off, so I don't see why you wouldn't do that. Ranko Veselinovic in the middle of the back line. Tristan Blackman, I would think, goes again. And then it's just either Nerwinski or Brown. And then in the midfield, I, I think you have to go Burhalter and, and Kubas. And then the question, I guess, is do you go Raposo-Gressel? Do you go Godinho-Gressel? I think, I, I don't know, That's a, that's a tough one. I'm really it's a it's a coin flip. I think it's just going to depend on the 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 tactical matchup there and whatever Vanny likes. And then I'm I'm assuming they're going to go with what Schaffen Schaffen again. And then I'm going to say Brian White gets to start up front because I feel like that's about time. Yeah, I mean mine's pretty similar. I think Hassal in goal got the reins for now. Let him run with it. Back through. I mean, not much you can do with injuries, but. Blackman, Veselinovic, Nerwinski. They didn't give you any problems against RSL. No Brown anyways. Obviously, the center back situation a bit thin right now, though, if you're looking. My goodness. Because even a healthy Brown, that gives them, what, four healthy natural center backs with Godoy gone. I guess Florian Youngworth. Na- Maybe Florian nat- Youngworth. Natural center backs. That's true. Sorry, listed as center backs. Yeah. Florian Youngworth, though. <laughs> no, shout out Florian Youngworth. Maybe he gets a start, but I don't think he does for doing I'd be very surprised. Wingbacks, I'm going Gressel and Repose. So Gressel came off the bench. I think you let him get a run, especially, you know, after out went for Dahomey. You never never know. Maybe Dahomey will surprise us and slot in. And I think Repose, so he, again, every week he proves he deserves to start. He got taken off early, so we can't say he's not fresh. Plus, there's a week off, so all these guys should be fresh. Anyways, I think we're going to see that midfield pivot of Burhalter and Kubas, the two tens of Schopf and Gauld. And I think we're going to see Cavallini start. Uh, and white spell maybe white come on a little earlier this time i think it's still with recovering from injuries this is a game where you know stylistically uh you know you 
two big strikers doesn't make sense because you're going to go up against Zimmerman and you know and another good aerial threat likely anyway so why is the point of having two big threats when you're almost better off trying to expose the guy like Dax McCarty's you know in their weird Nashville's weird kind of midfield setup you're almost better off trying to play through the Gauls shop Berhalter Kubas quadrant than you know yes get Gressel and Raposo involved but not, not just have the plan B get it to Gressel whip it over and over so I think that's kind of the lineup I, I see based on what Nashville's put out and what the Whitecaps have available yeah that's uh something that you know not being there on the ground like how is Brian White progressing? How many minutes can he take on? Uh, especially as the week goes on, we'll, we'll have to see there because uh, especially rib stuff, like that can linger with you for a while. So um, I'd, I'd like to see White get another start, but yeah, I'll be, be curious to see how they go there. Okay, predictions. I mean, I don't know. I think I have to, based on the RSL result, based on the way this team is trending, based on the fact that it's at home, I, I've got to ride with a home win. And you know what I'm going to say, Alex? Thomas Asal now his his third start back. I'd have to look this up. I, I think it's something the Whitecaps are nine or ten matches now without a clean sheet. I, I'm gonna say that they finally managed to do it. I'm gonna say this is a two nil Whitecaps victory. Uh, but yeah, curious to see exactly how long it's been since they've kept a clean sheet because it's been a long time. Somehow it's been nine MLS games and ten overall. Since they're clean sheet against, you get five seconds to guess who it's against. One, two, three, four. I throw you on the spot there. I know. I don't. I don't no chance it. Okay. It's fun enough. LFC and then New England. They oh, did it back to back. Sure. Yeah. It shows and me then, how wild this summer New England, is. Nil, games New England yesterday. nil nil. And then what was the the score line against LAFC? One nil Kubas screamer at the mm. end in the 89th. Ah, so two pretty, two two pretty good low, low event lock it down type matches. Which funny again the summer. I feel like those games were yesterday, which is hilarious to see that they were June 26th and July 2nd, respectively. Where does the time go? One day we'll find out. So yes, it's been a minute since the White Caps kept a clean sheet. Uh, that's really, I mean, that's the beginning of their troubles. It was that Minnesota. It, nightmare that re- revitalized minnesota they gotta season. break this streak eventually right like it, it was like the year where they had no draws uh, eventually something's got to give so I'm, I'm banking on it happening this time out and i like it because what does a clean sheet guarantee it guarantees points I, I don't think ever in the history of soccer i can guarantee this no one has ever dropped points and they've kept a clean sheet <laughs> so certainly the white caps at the very minimum a clean sheet would help them on many fronts so I think for I'm not predicting a clean sheet. I'm not that bold yet. I do think Hanny Mukhtar on the field, he finds a way to do something stupid. You know, he is Hanny Mukhtar, but I'm going to go through one white caps. They're at home. It's a must win. These are the sorts of games they live for. They finally got a healthy roster. They've had a couple of good performances. They had a good start at home finally. So they can finally say they got over that bogey or that hump or whatever was dogging them. So I say they get three one. Maybe you know what? I'll be bold and say one at least one of those goals is another first half goal to get them up and running. I like it. Both of us seems like we're feeling relatively confident. I I, I have to believe in a in a spiritual sense. You know, third sum being reunited in the building will provide that little bit of extra energy the White Caps need. Uh, yeah, I very much look forward to not only being there, but um, bringing some some more coverage, being in the right time zone. That'll be nice. Uh, so yeah, uh, stay tuned on the social channels for that. 
before the match, during the match, after the match, all that good stuff. So, uh, Alex, over to you for us to, to sign off here. Yeah, of course. Find me on Twitter at Alex Kangaroos. I got BTS Man City, btsmancity.com. Should be exciting week. Uh, follow what goes on. Whitecaps land, other land, all the lands, uh, Canada soccer, etc. So we'll we'll be keeping it tuned for that. And then of course we'll be we'll be having fun at uh, BC Place on Saturday. Can't wait. Hopefully the Whitecaps can get a nice little win and make things interesting in the playoff race. So uh, can't wait for that. But uh, let Sam take the honors today. Yeah, you can find me, as always, at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter at 86forever.com. You can find our podcast at Third Sub Pod on Twitter at The Third Sub on Instagram. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening as we are finally, you know, in the stretch run of the season. Every match is a playoff match. It's uh, It's been very exciting, entertaining, captivating to talk about the Whitecaps recently. Hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, we'll chat again soon.